0: Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're currently in chapter 7 at verse 1. Hi there, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 7 of the book of Daniel where it says this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. I kept looking until thrones were set up. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and the kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So then we come to chapter seven, is a new section of this book. The first six chapters are uh, categorized as the stories of Daniel. And now we have the visions of Daniel, and uh, that. finishes out the book, uh, chapters uh, 7 through 12. Now, the first uh, six chapters about the narratives of various stories that uh, Daniel does relate to us, they do include some interpretations of dreams, and and uh, those are very significant also to parallel these visions that Daniel received. Now, Chapter 7 opens by saying the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream. That means that this particular vision Daniel received prior to the fall of uh, the Babylonian kingdom, and that is when when Belshazzar um, was killed in in verse 30 of chapter 5, so somewhere Before that is where this was. And that, in fact, it was during the first year. Now, Belshazzar uh, served as a parallel um, king. Uh, a co-regency, you might say, with his father, Nabonidus, and that was from 556 to 539 B.C. So somewhere uh, around 556 is where this particular vision happened. So it's a little about out of cr- chronological order in many regards, and yet it picks up something that Daniel wants us to know about his own visions, even as they were occurring during the reign of this last king, of uh, the Babylonian Empire right before the takeover of the Medes and the Persians. And so this now is what uh, Daniel received in this particular dream. So, um, uh, oh, and by the way, um, there have been lots of critics about about this uh, guy named Belshazzar, uh, and uh, they thought for many, many years that uh, this was just some sort of, at least the critics uh, critics of the Bible thought this, that uh, this man was just some fictional character made up. But uh, uh, as it turns out, in uh, some archaeological discoveries in 1914, there were 37 distinct ancient texts that mentioned this, this person, this crown prince that uh, uh, served on behalf of uh, of his father Nabonidus while Nabonidus was away in Arabia so uh, so evidently the bible was uh, uh, more accurate than some of the critics of the bible and so daniel has seen this vision and it uh, it has to do with these uh, four great beasts and notice that it says that these beasts came out of Came out of the uh, sea. It says uh, uh, four winds of heaven. That means the four different directions were stirring up the great sea. And of course, from Daniel's perspective, as a Jewish person, the great sea was what we know now as the Mediterranean Sea. And that's that's the uh, the very nature of these four great kingdoms. The first one uh, is is in the Middle East and. Uh, Daniel is in the middle of experiencing that first kingdom that happens to be the Nebuchadnezzar kingdom. And uh, it's been passed on, of course, to other kings since Nebuchadnezzar passed away. But but it's still the same kingdom. It has not at this point been taken over by the Medes and the Persians. And so these four kingdoms comprise the same four kingdoms that you, you remember was revealed in Daniel chapter 2. And Daniel chapter 2 has these visions of the head of gold, and that was Nebuchadnezzar. That was the Babylonian Empire. And it was followed by the shoulders and the chest of silver. That was the, the kingdom of the Medes and Persians. Then the abdomen was of bronze. That was the Grecian empire, uh, the empire of Greece. And, uh, and then that followed the, the iron empire. And that, of course, we, uh, we understand to be the Roman empire. So what we have here in chapter seven, and I'm giving you this a little bit uh, in advance um, of the actual text, uh, where we get the authority to do this, is actually verse 17 of chapter 7, which we did not read uh, in this reading today. But it is the key to understanding these four great beasts, and that is in chapter uh, chapter 7, verse 17. It uh, the angel steps forward and and begins to uh, uh, to interpret this, and he says. Uh, uh, these these great beasts, verse seventeen of chapter seven, uh, which are four in number, are four kings which will arise from the earth. That and that includes four uh, uh, four thrones or four kingdoms, you might say. And so that is where we get the authority of interpreting these beasts. You see, the Bible is better interpreted if we look at the way it interprets itself. It lays itself out in such a fashion that there should be very little confusion, even though these beasts sound monstrous because of their description. And they are. And yet, on the other hand, they are a natural unfolding of things that we already know from Daniel chapter 2 and those four Gentile empires. Now, there are some scholars uh, today that aren't necessarily critics of the Bible, but they seem to kind of have a bent about them when it comes to apocalyptic-type scriptures. In other words, these things that are about uh, evidently uh, 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 the end times or at least prophetically future things of some sort and they are represented in some sort of figurative language or, or image descriptions and, and they get, uh, they get all kind of Confused about it in the sense that uh, uh, at least uh, one scholar said this: the primary purpose of apocalyptic writing was to comfort those who were persecuted for their faith. And to me, that sentence seems to incline itself uh, to reveal uh, this person's thinking because uh, I'm not quite sure that apocalyptic uh, uh, writings uh, had their primary purpose for comfort for those in persecution. In fact, some of the apoc apocalyptic writings were way more strenuous and way more extreme than any persecutions we've ever had so far. And, uh, that shouldn't give, uh, that doesn't indicate to me that they were written for our comfort, but you see, that's, that's the tone that they, they bring as if no one can really understand these apocalyptic, uh, descriptions, uh, because they're just meant for comfort's sake. And, uh, uh that same scholar goes on to say, uh, that to interpret apocalyptic vision, it is important to seek the original reference of the vision. Well, that is true. But then uh, they go on to say having done this, it is still appropriate to seek one's own situation in the vision symbols and to find one's own comfort in its promises. But uh, for my way of thinking, th- Apocalyptic scriptures are about the future and yes if they give us comfort that is uh that is a nice side effect and that that is good but they're not written for necessarily for our comfort sometimes they're written for our repentance sometimes they're written for our challenge and for our rebuke sometimes they are just written to so that we know what the future holds it's all about the future that's the point and so they're written with this descriptive language so that we can know the future, but no one can can, uh, come along and say, oh, I'm going to fulfill this myself, and I'm going to orchestrate uh, the the things of human life on earth in such a fashion that these things can be fulfilled, because they are left obscure enough that no genius can can look at it and say, this is now uh, my journey to, uh, to fulfill this part of this scripture, because they won't know how to do it. They they uh, still don't know how to do it. Uh, but, uh, but if we do understand that these four images, these four animals, these four monsters are parallel to the four uh, uh, metals in the original uh, image of Nebuchadnezzar, then you see we are on solid ground to see what Daniel saw in light of these four Gentile empires and their domination of the Middle Eastern area, especially the domination over the nation of Israel and the Jews and the promised land. So we'll be back right after this short break. Welcome back. So we've made that, uh, presentation now that, uh, chapter seven is parallel in many regards to Daniel chapter two and the statue that, uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision, not the one that he built, uh, as an idol, uh, that was composed of all gold, but, uh, the, the the one in his vision in chapter 2 that started with the head of gold, which was him, which was the Babylonian empire. It followed with the silver, and that was the Medo-Persian empire. Then that followed with the bronze, which was the Grecian empire. And then the legs of iron and the feet of, of iron and clay, that's Rome those are the four gentile empires and if we keep that straight then you see we have foundation for this particular passage it begins with a lion with wings like an eagle well that's uh that's representing the the regalness of the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but look, it says uh, his wings were plucked and it was lifted up from the ground to made stand on uh, on two feet like a man, and a human mind was also given to it. You see, that's exactly parallel to Nebuchadnezzar's own testimony about himself, his gospel tract that he wrote for us, and uh, that indicates that he was humbled. After a, uh, a moment, an incident, a lifestyle, in many regards, that that culminated in an incident of his pride and his arrogance held up against the God of Daniel, and God of Daniel humbled him so that he became less than human, and he wandered in the fields like an animal, and he ate grass like an animal until he humbled himself, and and God raised him back up and gave him his sanity again, and that's exactly how. This is parallel. You see, the language of the scriptures, the literature of the scripture gives us everything that we need to understand how these two things are parallel and how we're not off base in doing so. And and we do get off base, by the way, if we begin to look at passages like Daniel 7 and start adapting or adopting a a, a, a Bible interpretation based on uh, the, the na- national mascots, uh, y- you will never come up with a national mascot that may be around today and try to interpret the scriptures that way because it's just wrong. It won't work. You see, and some people have tried to do that and say, oh, the bear, that's, uh, that's Russia. Oh, the eagle, that's the United States and they get themselves so stirred up or twisted up in their understanding of the Scriptures because they do not allow the Scriptures to teach us from itself, interpret itself. And that means we are on solid ground in saying that the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom of Babylon, is represented by that lion, with the wings of an eagle that got plucked out, but yet he was allowed to stand on two feet and give them the mind uh, of a mind uh, of a human mind that is and, and then the second beast is a bear, and notice here that it's raised up on one side that means in the kingdom, the alliance of the Medes and the Persians, the Persians were stronger, but they needed the Medes because they they gave the uh, uh, a certain kind of military strength as well but but that's the the nature of that particular kingdom just like the silver part of the image in Daniel 2 uh has the two uh, arms, and that means those arms were silver, and the arms represent the two kingdoms or the two uh, people groups of the Medes and the Persians. And that's exactly what we have here. It's a united kingdom, that's true, but one side of the bear is lifted up uh, to represent the fact that uh, there may be somewhat of a, a misbalance between the, the Persians and the Medes, but it's still there as a united kingdom. And it says that. Uh, that there were three ribs in its mouth, and those three ribs uh, might refer to the way that uh, the uh, kingdom had uh, the of the Persians and the Medes took over the Babylonian Empire by the by three main cities: the the city of Babylon itself. Uh, Ecbatania and Barsipa were the three main cities that they had to conquer, and evidently they did so. And maybe, just maybe, those three ribs represent that, and uh, they were uh, given instruction, the bear was given instruction by this angelic uh, revealer to arise and devour much meat. And so uh, the Medes and the Persians aren't done with just the conquering the, the cities, uh, the three main cities of the um, Kingdom of Babylon, and it goes on. It says that there was this leopard, and it had four wings like a bird, and it had four heads. Well, that exactly represents the uh, kingdom of Greece, at least in its uh, in its stages after. Um, Alexander the Great uh, died, and after he died, after conquering all these kingdoms, his kingdom was divided among his four main generals, and we'll get to that later, but that's exactly the way this kingdom is represented. So it means that the uh, the kingdom of Greece had four heads, four main kingdoms as a part of it, uh, as sort of a united kingdom, at least for a while. And then he says, after this, uh, looking uh, in the night visions, this is verse seven of. Uh, Fourth beast, and this is huge. It, it it doesn't even give much of a description of the beast because it's such a terrifying monster. It is a composite, perhaps, of all of these other monsters, all put together. And um, it devoured and crushed and trampled the remainder under its feet. And um, he gives attention to the fact that this particular monster was bigger than all the others, and it was brutal, and it was massive, and it and yet at the same time he sees ten horns. That means that uh, there were ten of them, and this one little horn came up and uprooted three of them and took over. At least uh, he he had eyes like a man, and he was uttering great boasts. And so this prideful uh, uh, king, this prideful ruler from the Roman Empire, evidently that's that's where it uh, seems to originate, uh, now just dominates everything else. He he becomes his own tyrannical dictatorship, and and he just takes over. But what's interesting is at this very moment is where Daniel begins to see something else. And this is where the comfort comes from, you might say, when he kept looking and, until thrones were set up, and the ancient days took his seat. And there's a description of his hair, and his uh, vestiture was uh, uh, white like snow, and his hair was pure wool, and uh, his his throne was ablaze with flames, and under his throne came this river of fire uh, all around him. And the the there were thousands upon thousands that that attended him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And then it says the books were open. That means there is a judgment that's about to take place. And the ancient of days seems to indicate God. This is God in heaven on His throne. Now we in our New Testament understanding would uh, characterize this as God the Father and uh, later on we'll see the son of man and uh, so at least two persons of the triune god are are represented in this vision and it's around the throne and what's interesting is this is what Daniel has been given a glimpse of heaven, and this throne room, and this throne room in in uh, uh, embodies this judgment that is about to take place. But what's interesting is uh, just about the time they open these books, Daniel is still kind of perturbed about the fact that this little guy is still talking loudly and, and boasting, and because that's Though evidently, that's the reason why this judgment is coming. He says, I kept looking because the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain. So this judgment is all about this fourth beast and this boastful uh, tyrant dictator that is judged by God finally and is uh, is burned up, and that's what it is, uh, given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, evidently there are these kingdoms, these Gentile kingdoms are given a privilege of continuing to exist, uh, but yet they are, in other words, they're not judged along with this uh, fourth beast, but Uh, They have a limited amount of authority and a limited amount of period of time. That's all we know so far. Now, there's lots of things in Scripture that gives us the descriptions of all of the things of of how these things are fulfilled, but right now we have just a a, a schematic, you might say, without uh, having a whole lot in between to fill in the blanks. So we should have a lot of questions at this point until we begin to study other Scriptures and uh, study other prophecies, study the rest of this book, as well as uh, study the book of Revelation, because the, Re- the book of Revelation is a fulfillment of many of the things we see here. But uh, uh, this does not include the details that we find in the book of Revelation. So, and you can say that the other way around as well. You you may not be able to understand the book of Revelation until you first understand the book of Daniel, because Daniel gives us the main keys to unlock the symbols. Not because the symbols are hard to figure out, but because the the uh, we've given what those symbols symbolize. We we know what they are, and so they don't become a complete secret. They're only a secret to those who continue to ignore the Scriptures, to those who continue to conjecture about their own interpretation or their own feelings about their interpretation without allowing the Bible to interpret itself. And so we find then, not only do we see the Ancient of Days, but look, it says in verse 13 and 14, uh, Daniel kept on looking, and uh, on the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man. This is a title that Jesus himself takes on himself during his earthly kingdom. No one else calls him that. That is, during his earthly ministry is what I meant to say. Uh, No one else calls him the Son of Man. He calls himself that, and that in itself, by claiming to be the Son of Man, is a blasphemous claim according to the Jewish authorities of his day. That's what got him into trouble because they knew this was a messianic uh, a uh, type of prophecy here in Daniel chapter 7 and he was coming and he came up to the Ancient of Days and presented to him, and he received a kingdom. You see, this kingdom of the Son of Man is the same kingdom we find in Daniel chapter 2 as the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, and it destroys all the other kingdoms and then becomes a kingdom of its own that will never be destroyed. And that's exactly the way he's described here in Daniel chapter 7. So you see, the four Gentile kingdoms and the one messianic kingdom of the Son of Man all fit between Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. You can overlay them onto each other and they fit exactly. And uh, they're just different details with different emphasis, but it's there if we choose to look for it. Thank you, Father, that we serve a Savior who is also the Messiah of Israel and that as the Messiah, he will reign one day on the throne of David and that throne will be a forever throne. That throne will never be taken away or stolen or defeated. He will reign forever and ever. Thank you for him who also has become a our Savior, our guilt-bearer, before you, that he took our sins as far as the east is from the west so that we could have his righteousness. And we thank you for him and all that he's done for us and anticipate what he is going to do in his future return. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Come back again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.